Now we come to the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles with you, please open it to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And we will be having several verses to study this morning. And so please be quick and be fast. Be ready with your notes, with your Bibles, and with your teachable heart. Let's all stand. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. May God bless the reading from his holy word. Please be seated. What is the essence of being a woman? What is the essence of being a woman? If you're a woman, please raise your hand. <laughs> All right, good. I hope nobody here is confused. What is the essence of being a woman? That's the question asked during the final Q&A portion of the Miss Universe pageant back in 1994. And guess what? It was held in the Philippines, right? And there was no doubt that Miss India, you know, Shusmita Sen, won the crown for her classic answer. And this was her answer. Just being a woman is God's gift that all of us must appreciate. The origin of a child is a mother and is a woman. She shows a man what sharing, caring, and loving is all about. That is the essence of a woman. That won her, you know, the Miss Universe 1994, right? So Dayanara Torres gave the crown to her. And by the way, that was also the famous Miss Universe where our very own Miss, what's her name? where she answered, you know, how many islands in the Philippines, and she said, high tide or low tide? <laughs> See? So 1994, you know, many things happened in 1994. I also graduated college 1994. <laughs> anyway, so when asked about that answer, she said she doesn't know where she took that answer, maybe out of, you know, out of anxiety or what, uh, nervousness. But 27 years later, she said she now has a first-hand you know, experience of the essence of being a woman because she's now a single mother of two adopted lovely daughters. So she said, after 27 years, now I know what I meant when I said that being a woman is a, is a gift from God. And I agree with her. It's a gift of God, being a woman. Now, 
We are in the series entitled, He Created Them Male and Female, and this is our response to Pride Month, month of June. This is where the LGBT community, the feminist group, promotes self-affirmation, you know, dignity, equality of, of gender and rights for women. And friends, I want us to understand that when we have this series, we are in no way trying to discredit all or everything that they are crying and fighting for. As I have said last week, there are legitimate causes for this group. Like, you know, discrimination of women, abuses. We are supporting that area. But what we want to clarify is that as a church, we have this moral obligation to tell the truth. And so we said, how are we supposed, how should Christians respond to Pride Month? Now I said that there are three ways to respond. To condemn outright condemnation, which I said that's not where we stand, that's not where Bradford is. We are not here to condemn, we are not here to bash, nor we are here to condone. Definitely, there are very critical issues that the LGBT feminist groups are teaching or espousing that we as Christians definitely disagree. All right? We disagree for biblical reasons. And so we have a third response, and that is compassionate truth-telling. Compassionate truth-telling, brethren, requires that the church speak from its deepest convictions from the Bible and with the longing of helping our friends or maybe family members who are in this movement, in this group, that God's love will definitely bring transformation. It's not just affirming them as, as God's creation. It is praying that somehow the truth of God would bring them to restoration. For we firmly believe and stand that there is so much immorality going on in that movement. Totally against the word of God. And so the issue about LGBT and feminism and male chauvinism, you know, womanhood, manhood, these are not trivial issues that Christians can just store, you know, turn a, a deaf ear. These are crucial issues, friends, that will affect our families. It will affect our society. It will affect our law system. It affects every one of us. So we cannot just be silent. As Christians, we must talk about this because this affects the morality of our, of our society. So the truth about being male and female is not just about, you know, sex and gender and, and preferences. It's deeper than that, brethren. And slowly but surely, it is gaining force and momentum in our society today. And if Christians don't talk about this, if we don't act, if we don't say something, then we will wake up one day that everything that we believe is right and true are now considered wrong in our society. And so we have to 
tell the truth with love. So three worldviews, we said. There's male chauvinism, and this is the worldview that says that, you know, male are the superior species in society. Male should be dominant, all right? Women are lower. Women are being discriminated. And because of this, for a very long time, this has been the default of cultures. And because of this, there are so many abuses. Now, I'm not saying that male chauvinism or male leadership is wrong, you know, generally speaking. But the problem there is the abuses, the discrimination towards women. Women being treated as just things and possessions. That is wrong. That is definitely not what the Bible is talking about and is teaching. And then, as a response to that, there's feminism and egalitarianism. What is that? Feminism, equal rights between the sexes. They're saying that males and females are equal, and so females can do anything what males can do. Again, while there are truth to this two views, we have to understand what does the Bible say. Right? And so there is a third worldview, and that is known as complementarianism. You know, that's the biblical view. Right? So what is complementarianism? This is what we talked about last week. This is just a review that we are designed by God, and as designed by God, there is dignity. Dignity in equal status for both man and woman. Man and woman were created in the image of God, and so man and woman both has dignity, has worth, because we came from God. But then, the Bible says there are distinct roles. Distinct in roles. There are distinctions. There are roles that are only for men, and there are roles that are only for women. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible also says that men and women are to be dependent to each other. Dependent to each other. So we complement. We don't compete. We complete each other. That's the biblical understanding of being a man and a woman. But you know what happened? That design has been distorted by sin. What happened to the dignity? This, there is now disparity of status. There is now demeaning. There is now what? There is now dishonoring the other. Man thinks that he is better than women. And as a result of that, there is now what? The women are also telling, oh no, we are better than you. Look what happened to the world now when women are leading. So, so there is now women empowerment. See? And we can all give examples of nations that are run by women. See? So that's what they're saying. So there is now disparity of status, disorder of roles. Men are acting as women. Women are acting as men. That's distortion. That's not part of the design of God. That's a distortion of sin. And then, instead of being dependent to each other, they dishonor each other. See? That's the distortion of sin. But friends, praise God, Christ came. 
we find what? We find delivery in Christ. You know, when we are delivered in Christ, there is a restoration of dignity, there's a restoration of the distinctions between a man and a woman, and there is a restoration of dependencies that, that a woman can be depend on a man and a man can depend on a woman. That in Christ, a man will look at a woman with respect and honor and not see them as just objects of sex. That can only happen when Christ has delivered our hearts. So our goal is that people will experience Jesus. That's the answer. It's not about government. It's not about, you know, rules. No matter how we make good rules, if the hearts of men are not reigned with Christ, there is no real restoration in our society. There must be deliverance that comes from Christ. All right? Now we go to the essence of being a woman. You know, what is the essence of being a woman? Now, quickly, there are so many things. You know, it took me a hard time to craft this message. And I have to finish around 1 a.m. Because there's just too many things I want to share. And I, would, I, I could even say I could do a woman's conference. See? Because there's so many things about the woman. You know? See? It, it's, it's, it's not easy. So it, Sharon has been asking me, so what is the essence of a woman? What is the essence of a woman? See? And so I have to recraft again. And so I'd like to outline it this way. The essence of a woman in terms of being, in terms of behavior, and in terms of beauty. Right? There we have it. In terms of being, in terms of behavior, and in terms of beauty. Now, why is it that we have to go back to the Bible? Again, because women today are what? Sexualized. You know? Women are either seen as what? Sexual object. You cannot sell a car, a shampoo, a soap, or anything without a sexy woman selling it. See? It's being used. And you know what? If you ask me, I'm, here's my stand. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not for, you know, beauty pageant. Sorry. I enjoy watching it. But if, if somebody asks me, would you allow your daughter to join? Absolutely not. Not on my dead body. <laughs> Why? Because for me, that's, you know, that's displaying the beauty of a womanhood to be what? To be objects of what? You know, what will happen to some of these women if you just, if you just study what happened to some of these women? Eventually, they become what? They become the mistress of this rich man, of that. See? While there are good things as a result, but my, you know, this is my bias. A lot of these women are simply sexualized. Seen as an object for entertainment. Women, you are far better than that. You are the glory of man, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. You're the glory of man. So you cannot just be put on display. So there's a need for us. Now, what's the other opposite? The other opposite is woman, women empowerment. You know, women ruling. That's the extreme. And so we go back to the Bible and see, wow, 
you were created by God in a very special way. Can you imagine that? You know what? Men, listen, men, men, we were created from dirt. Women, from men. See? In other words, when God created the woman, there was no more dirt. <laughs> but us, we came from the dirt. Women, they were already special. They were created from something that has been created already. In other words, when, when God made you, God really specialized the process that he, he already removed you know, the dirt part. So I want you to see yourself, men, I want you to see women with so much respect, all right? So let's begin. Being. Here's the definition of being a woman. A woman defines herself as a reflection of the image of God. Okay. I want you to savor that definition. That's the essence of a woman. You are defining yourself as a reflection of the image of God. Now, why is this so important? Because a lot of women today try to define themselves the way social media defines a woman. You know, they want to define themselves on what they see, who, who is this woman, on who is this. See, a lot of women today try to define themselves according to public's popularity. Women, I want you to understand this. Your definition is not based on what others will say, what social media would say. Your definition is based on who created you. That we, you are, we are created in the image of God. Go back again to Genesis. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created Man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. First thing, brethren, that women, you know, in, in, your, in your deepest being, you're supposed to resemble God. She resembles God. The woman resembles God. See? So if there's something that you want to know about your essence, you should see, am I resembling God in my life. I want you to soak your mind over this, that you were created in that beautiful image of God. And as a woman, you're supposed to reflect that image. As a Christian woman, you have in you the moral being, the likeness of God. That's why you have the capacity to love, to care, to be merciful, to forgive, to humble yourself to be gracious, but also the capacity to be angry at sin. See? The capacity also to be hurt the same way as God can be hurt by sin. Woman, you resemble God. Secondly, she relates with God. In your being, you know that relationship is very important. You know, for, you know there's just one difference between a man and a woman. Right? Women are more relational. You know that? More, women are more relational. They thrive in relationships. You know why? Because that's how God designed you. Again, when God created man, there was nothing. It was just dirt. But you know when God created woman, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. 
I will make a suitable helper. See? So, so there's inside of you that relationship that you cannot exist on your own. So, so your being a woman comes from what? From God, that God is a relational God. In fact, when God says, let us make man in our image, take note, us. That's the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. And so what defines the being of a woman? It's her relationship with God. That you can relate with God. And that relationship with God must affect at the very core of a woman's being. That I am a child of God. And I represent God. And you know what? Third, in her being, she has a personal responsibility for God. Personal responsibility for God. The Christian woman, in her deepest being, finds herself responsible for God. And so you are aware. You know that what you say, how you react, it has an effect on God. See? You know that you have this responsibility for God. So that means that you are careful with what you say. You are careful with how you react to things because you know that you, you belong to God. And at the very core of your being, you must be responsible for this God. So that's the essence of a woman as far as her being is concerned. She resembles God, she relates with God, and she has a personal responsibility for God. I want you to soak on that. Reflect. Do I resemble God? See? Do I relate with God as a child? Am I responsible for God? You know? That's the essence of a woman. Second, behavior. Let's go talk about behavior. A woman demonstrates humble disposition that gladly supports man's leadership. Now, that's quite heavy. A woman demonstrates what? A humble disposition that gladly supports man's Leadership. Now remember, right? Before you react, huh? Really? <laughs> now, if, if you react, you know, it's normal because that's part of the distortion caused by sin. That's how Eve reacted. That's that's part of the that's part of the you know the consequence. If if you read Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says there. The woman, you know, aside from increasing your birth pains, you know, the woman's desire is contrary for the man. That's what the Bible says. And the man dominates the woman. You see, that's the result of sin. Before, it was humble submission. Now, it's what? Contrary. See? So what is the, the behavior of a godly woman? The essence of a godly woman? You demonstrate a humble disposition. Now we'll talk about that. Alright? Listen to this. The woman's being is demonstrated through her behavior. If, if you see yourself as a definition of the image of God, then that definition would simply manifest itself 
to your behavior. Alright? To your behavior. Now, look at what the Bible says. Okay? Let, let's try to get first the principle behind this. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Woman wasn't there. So, there was already, take note, this is chapter 2, this is not yet sin, no sin yet. This is perfect. So, man was delegated with that authority to work, you know, to take care. So, that's the, that's the innate responsibility of man. Man, you're to work. And it's very sad how sin has distorted that in men today. We have so many wimpy men today. We have so many men who don't have what? Don't have the bones to really stand up and initiate and take responsibilities. Instead, we have men who are what? Sigilagtog. Sigilinom. Sigilduwa. Okay? Instead, we have so many boys, not men. So many boys, right? No wonder we need so many mothers, right? So that's, that's the design of, of God for men. You are to work, see? And then God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Remember? God does something and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then suddenly, when you reach Genesis 2.18, God says, it is not good. What is not good? For man to be alone. I will make, take note, a helper suitable for him. That's the design of God for women. And if you are saying, oh no, why, why? Brethren, this is God. Don't, don't try to question the wisdom of God. That's the desire of God. He, he, he created man to work, but then later on God says, you know what? It's not good that you're alone. I will make a comparable helper. Someone that will compliment you. In fact, that's where we get the word complementarianism from this verse. That women were created by God as a complement to the man. Why? Because man is incomplete without the women. Suitable helper. And, and a lot of women, you know, are, you know, they react negatively with the word helper. How come you helper? Please don't demean that word. That word helper is an honorable term. In fact, that's a word that describes God. That's another title for God. Behold, God is my Helper, that's the same word, Ezer. Right? Helper, Ezer, or Ezra, yeah, that's the word. Helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life. In fact, Jesus is seen as the helper. The Holy Spirit is also our helper. So if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a helper, and we, we honor God for being our helper, how should we not honor women as helper? Again, because our, our idea of the word helper is already what? Influenced by the word that how we use it today. But that's the woman. You know, you were created. There's a reason why God did not create man and woman simultaneously. God, there's, there's the order 
speaks so many things why God chose to create man first and then there's a gap. God gave the man responsibilities and the reason for that so that man would realize that on my own, I am incomplete. I need a woman. And it was God who says, you know what? I, I want you to understand this. It is not good for you to be alone. Right? Now, in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, look at this. Wives, no wonder you will find that. Why is it that in all the different descriptions of women in the Bible, why is it that submission, yielding to man, is always the dominant behavior? Why? Again, it's not because of the fall. It's not because of the sin. It's because of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That God wants order in society. God wants the man to take the initiative to be the head and God wants the woman to help the leadership of the man. That's the dynamics. No reversal. So wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that, look at this, if, if any of them do not believe in the word, in other words, Peter is talking about Christian women who married non-Christian men. They may be won over without words, take note, by the behavior of their wives. See, that's the essence of a woman. By the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and the reverence of their lives. See the beauty there? That's the essence of a woman. The purity and the reverence of their lives. And that purity and reverence, how is that manifest? It is manifested in how they behave towards the man in their lives. And brethren, when we talk about submission, we, you might be saying, but I'm not married, pastor. This is not just about marriage. Marriage is just one way for submission to manifest. But it should manifest in all walks of life in friendship, at work, wherever we are, that's the essence of being a woman. You behave in such a way that you, the word submit means to arrange your life in such a way that you honor the authority designated. See? That's being a woman. So a woman's behavior is characterized that of what? Yielding submission. 1 Timothy 2.11 says, A woman should learn in quietness. Again, full submission. See? I don't think these are, you know, isolated cases where Paul mentions about this. Because if you read the context, the reason why Paul says this should be the behavior of the woman, again, Paul's reason, if you go to the later verse, it goes back to Genesis. Why women should act like this? Again, Paul says, because men were created, Adam was created first, then woman. You see? It's still based on the order. And by the way, I did not mention this. What, what, what was the thing that God asked Adam to do before the woman was created? To name all the animals. Friends, another implication. Naming of things means authority. A person who names someone, it means you have the authority. God names 
Israel, Jacob, Jesus' names, you know, Simon Peter. What's that? Authority. So when God gives Adam the authority to name things, it gives us now the impression that there was already authority given to Adam. And then Eve came. And then take note, who named Eve? Adam. See? This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. See? The naming of Adam towards the wife is a sign of authority. So authority given to the man is not being male chauvinistic. I'm sure feminist group would react negatively to this. It's the design of God. And when God designed that man to be the authority, there was, you don't find any clamor, any cry, any, you know, negative response from Eve. Unfair. No. There was a loving union. Because Eve has this humble disposition to honor the authority that God has given to her. See? That submission. So her behavior, the woman's primary responsibility is to support the man. You are the ezer to the man. The helper. Support. And this is, the man there is not just your husband. Any man. It could be your father. It could be your office mate. It could be your neighbor. In other words, that's the nature of a woman. You are there to assist. That's the essence Whenever there's a need, the woman comes as a helper because that's, that's the very nature. God says, it's not, a low, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper. And how do you do that? Through humble disposition that yields to man's leadership. Now take note, I use the word disposition intentionally. Disposition. What, what's the word disposition? Attitude. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. Humble attitude. Why this is important? Why? Because we know that in most cases, a lot of women are in a bad circumstance where they marry an abusive man, where they are being abused, where they are being demeaned. And it's natural for these women to react negatively. But friends, humbleness is not a reaction. You know, God does not say that you, are, you have humility, you have submission because your husband is a good man. It's regardless of the circumstance. Meaning to say, even if your man is not worthy of that submission because you're a woman of God, you have that humble disposition. In other words, you have that mindset. Alright? And sometimes that disposition might be what? hurtful. A lot of Christian women are even, even heartbroken when they show their submission. But that's the man or the woman of God yielding to man's leadership. And not only that, through, look at this, through the humble disposition that yields to man's leadership, but listen to this, with ultimate, listen, this is the foundation of our submission. You're right? with ultimate devotion to following Christ's leadership. That's the ultimate reason why I submit to this man. Because the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Take note, as 
you do to the Lord. Colossians, same thing. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You see? So it's always based, the ultimate reason why a woman's behavior is always in quietness and submission, it's not because of the husband's authority, not just that, but because of Jesus Christ being the ultimate Lord of a woman's life. It's the Lordship of Jesus Christ that caused you to have that disposition. That's where the ultimate devotion should go. Right? So for women whose husbands are not responsible, whose husbands are not competent, whose husbands are not, you know, responsible enough to be the man, love si Lord. But my ultimate devotion is to the Lord. Therefore, I have, I have to have this humble disposition to honor you as my husband. On the first place, you choose that man. <laughs> Nobody force you to marry that man. Right? So it's part of the package. So single women, listen. How many single? Can I see single women? Single women, listen. Before you say, I do... Make sure that the man you marry fears the Lord. Amen? Make sure that the man you marry, you know, it's not just being rich and pogey, you know, all those things. They will not last. But the man of faith will last forever. Make sure, huh? Singles, are you listening? Parents, pray. I can hear Diane saying yes, amen. <laughs> Diane, Abinao. Parents, pray for your children. You don't want your children to suffer. You don't want your children to submit with heartaches, right? You want them to submit with what? With joy and gladness. See? Because they marry a man after God's own heart. Okay, third. Okay, let's go to beauty. The most exciting part. Beauty. Right? I'm sure you're waiting for this. All right, that's the third essence of a woman, beauty. A woman displays, listen, this is the definition of beauty. A woman displays the glory of Christ in her inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit through expressions of what? Modesty, decency, and propriety. Okay, many things, I, uh, three things, so first and foremost, you are to display the glory of Christ. That's, that's the definition of a beauty of a woman. Okay? You start there. Whether it's a makeup, whether it's a hairstyle, whether it's, it's your apparel, it's clothing, it's your shoes, always start there. Will this display the glory of my Savior? Or will this display the glory of your money? or the glory of your designer. See? A lot of us are not, are not displaying the glory of Christ with what we wear. We're, dis- we're displaying ourselves, not Christ. So when we talk about beauty, first and foremost, beauty is spiritual. 
Beauty is first of all spiritual. When we talk about the essence of a Christian woman, when you talk about beauty, it starts with your spiritual life. Because that's where God looks first. Man looks at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So check your heart first. Am I beautiful in the sight of God? Am I beautiful in the sight of God? As the woman grows her faith in the Lord, her true self becomes reflected in her appearance. It flows from the inside out. See? That's the essence of a woman. When, when you look at the woman outwardly, it's just a reflection of the inside. And so if, if the outside is questionable, then maybe the inside is questionable. 1 Peter 3, all right, sorry, 3, that's, that should be 3, not 31. 3, verse 3 to 5, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as an elaborate hairstyles, wearing of gold and jewelry or fine clothes. See, that's the definition of beauty in the Bible. You should not value, you should not, you know, measure your beauty from the outside. Rather, it should be what? That of your inner self, the unfading beauty of what? A gentle, there's the word again, and quiet spirit. So you cannot, you cannot separate the behavior and the beauty of a woman. They all go together. See? Even if you're so fine in your clothing, nice kang makeup, pero loud kang babay, burara kayo, that's not the gentle and quiet spirit. See? There's no beauty there. And the Bible says this is of great worth in God's sight. Friends, spiritual, that's the beginning. The essence of a woman is her what? Inner beauty. Second, beauty must be pursued with self-control. By the way they fix their hair, or by the way they wear their gold, or pearls, or expensive clothing, of course. The words of Paul applies to, to his time, but of course, in our time, it's, it could be different. We want to draw attention through our hairs, through our clothings, or through the, either to more clothing you use or to the lesser clothing. See, it's the extreme. And what is, what is the nature of such showing off in our Facebook? To draw attention to ourselves. Lisot po kayo nag-anak ka o niya, yung ano ako gipakita na ang view ra? Bisag ang focus sa camera, yung body, ang view? Alright? For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves what? Take note. Attractive. How? Look at this. What is the attraction that the Bible wants? By the good things they do. Why we should, why we should know about this? Because even Christians are acting unchristians in social media. And I hope those of you who are doing this, you are listening online, Listen to this. A woman's faith ought to influence her wardrobe, her choices, her fashion, as much as it influences the rest of her behavior. It's a very important principle. A woman's faith 
What you are showing off in social media tells so much about your faith. Your faith must affect your fashion. And I'm just so disappointed to see some of our women and youth and young adults are showing off their bodies in social media. Right? So again, beauty is first of all spiritual. And then it must be pursued with self-control. Here's the third thing. Beauty has some signals. Signals. You have to abide by these signals. Okay, what are the signals? There are three words mentioned by Paul. Modest, that's cosmios. Decent, you know, idos. Appropriate, sophrone. Appropriate literally means with self-control. Right? And we need to, when we wear something, we have to ask these three questions. Why is it important? Okay, I, I want to acknowledge, you know, I took these principles from an article, Does God Cares What I Wear? That's from Desiring God. Okay, it's there. And the name there, it's Mary something. I, I took these principles from, from that article. All right, three signals. Number one, when you wear something, you ask, is it becoming or unbecoming? So the Greek word cosmios means that something is becoming or respectable. Paul's primary concern is that our clothing is becoming or what? Congruous or fitting to or consistent to our character as a Christian. That's, that's the first question. When I post this in Facebook, when I when I wear this and I go out, will this make people easy for them to say that I'm a Christian or will it make them harder to think of me as a Christian? That's the point of the word modest. Right? Godly women should adopt an entirely different approach towards clothing that manifests Christ in her life. So the external should express and match the internal. So when I post this picture or when I wear this, am I declaring my faith that I'm a Christian? Right? So so no Domingo ani mga tagas na kainislag solobon. Kanang mga makitang shoulder din na makita. Second, is it decent or indecent. Now, the Greek word here is what? What's the Greek word used here? The second word used? Oismos. What's that word? Decent. What do you mean by decent? Okay, here's the point. Okay? Decency. Dressing decently means first that we are not defiant toward God. We choose clothes that are decent in the eyes of people, not provocative, not seductive. When we dress decently, we recognize that God ordained clothes to cover our shame. Remember the origin of clothing? clothing. Who invented clothing, by the way? God. Remember? The very first reflex of sin is what? Nakedness, shame. And so God, at first they were just putting on leaves. And God says, hmm, di na pwedeng leaves. Levi's. 
Lily leaves, Levi's. And so, God gave them what? Leather. <laughs> okay? Skins of animals. So the clothing was what? To cover their shame. So in other words, that's the principle of decency. Decency is to cover the shame. But what is the, the distortion of Satan? The distortion of Satan is this. The lesser you cover yourself, the more beautiful you will look like. See? That's, that's the point. Our clothing is supposed to tell the truth about the gospel. It should show the world that Jesus covers our shame. And what? Makes us decent. Our clothes cover our nakedness as the clothing of Christ covers our sin, according to Revelation 3.18. But what happens in social media today? Okay, this is just a sample. I just made it up. Of course, I cannot post a, a real picture. But that's what some Christians are doing in their social media. And even very proud of it. All right. Point of discussion. But Pastor Maki, it's, you're in the beach. Yes, of course. I know. It's called a swimsuit. It's used for swimming. But that's not swimming. It's not used for posting. Yeah, you can, there's a reason why it's made. I'm not saying that Christian women are not supposed to wear swimwear. Of course, when you're swimming. But we are using it beyond swimming. When you're exposing your body and it's in social media, and you know that there are so many perverts and sexual addicts in social media, you are adding to the sin that's happening. See? So that's the implication. Women, be careful. I'm not saying that you cannot use a swimsuit, but if you're posting it and it's seen by so many people, you are showing the nakedness that's supposed to be covered and it becomes an object of loss, then I think it's not decent. If, if, you, if you use swimwears, don't pose it. Because after all, it's, the purpose of it is, is for the swimming, not to show off. Again, when we dress, we are show, showing off Christ. So what are you saying when you are half naked you know, in social media? What are you saying? What is your message to communicate to the people outside? And third, is it moderate or excessive? Is it moderate or excessive? Clothing is not meant to be about us. It's meant to display deep and profound truths about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what you wear tells so much about what you believe. Amen? So be careful, right? So let's start to be Christians online and offline. <laughs> let's try to be Christians inside and out, right? Now let me end this women's conference with these three action points. I, I, hope, I hope you learn something from here. Number one, prioritize your spirituality. You know, we can never undermine that because everything, everything, your, your being, your behavior, your beauty starts from there. So focus on spirituality. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, Pastor Maki, you know, I'm showing this picture, but you cannot judge my faith. You know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm mature in my faith. I can be showing off my body, but I'm not mature. Really? Well, study the Bible more and we'll see. You will realize what a woman of God should be. Number two, practice self-control. There's always, you know, because of social media, there's always this tendency to compete. You know, your friends are posting this, you know, and then sometimes you're being pressured. You know, everyone is posting their, their beauty in an IB, so I have to do this, friends. Pursue beauty with self-control. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not allow, allow public and social media to measure who you are, your beauty. You know you're beautiful in God's eye. You don't have to overemphasize it by overdressing or underdressing. God knows you're beautiful. Amen? And then purify your social media. <laughs> purify your social media. Start to clean up your social media. Go back. Maybe there are things there. You know, this is not God-honoring. You should remove that. Show yourself that what it means to be a woman has nothing to do with nakedness or apparels. It has something to do with your being, with your behavior, and with your inner beauty. And nobody, nobody can rob you of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all these women. We thank you, Lord, women and womanhood is your design and it's a gift. And I hope, Lord God, that these women will truly appreciate and will really thank you, Lord God, for their bodies, for their brain, for their behavior, and for their being. And Lord, help us to honor women. I pray for men. Help us, Lord, to treat women with respect to honor them, to give them, Lord God, the honor that they truly deserve because apart, Lord, from them, oh God, you said in your word, in your design, it's not good for men to be alone. I will make a suitable helper. So with that, Lord, we want to appreciate our wives. Thank you for our wives. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you, Lord, for our sisters. We are sorry, O oh God, for not treating them the kind of honor and respect that they deserve. Bless all the women, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us